as a prayer in my heart before we go any further. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, we ask you this morning in the name of Jesus for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God upon San Antonio, Texas, in the name of Jesus. We pray that everywhere the gospel is preached this morning, everywhere Jesus Christ is lifted up without apology and with affection in the heart, that those who proclaim the name of Jesus and the message of Jesus would be blessed in their delivery. Church, I want you to join me in this prayer. We're, we're not, it's not just about us in this room, but we are a part of a massive family, an awesome gathering of redeemed, washed in the blood, sinners, made a part of the family of God through what Jesus has done. And it is our hope that across this world and across this fiesta-riddled region of ours right now, that Jesus, Jesus Christ, not God in general, but Jesus Christ in particular would be high and lifted up and that there would come to be such a thickness of the presence of the living God that folks just driving down the street would end up in a church parking lot or would end up at the friend of, at the home of somebody who knows Jesus, who could tell them how to come to be forgiven and know the joy of the Lord and the life of Christ in their hearts. So that's, we're grateful to be in this house, to be in this room, but we, we pray all over, all over this nation and in particular in our part of this nation that you will pour out your Holy Spirit like you did on the day of Pentecost. You will pour out your Holy Spirit like you did in the great Welsh revival in 1904 and 1905. You'll pour out your Spirit upon this nation of ours like you did in the 1730s and 1740s in the first great awakening. And you'd do it again like you did it again in the second great awakening in 1799 to 1803. And then in the great outpouring of the great prayer revival, just prior to the Civil War in the late 1850s, you'll pour out your Spirit, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I'm thankful for the opportunity in a free nation in this place to open the Word of God with my brothers and sisters and proclaim freely the goodness of our God and the day of His salvation and the life of Jesus in us this day. Bless our time together, we pray. Bless our time. Be our teacher, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Say it one more time. Amen. Say it one more time for the third time. Amen and amen and amen. Well, all right. All right. All right. It's way more than what's going on in this room. It is what God is about in this world. And I'm thankful uh, to be a part of a group of brothers and sisters who know that that is true, that you really can love Jesus and not just go to Alamo City. Isn't that a good thing? that you really can know and love him and, and be a member of another congregation. And uh, we won't even say you may make it to heaven or if you get to heaven, you're going to be in the, in the peanut gallery up there somewhere. No, no, no. It's knowing Jesus. It's not knowing a preacher. It's knowing Jesus. It's not being a Catholic, not being a Baptist, not being a Methodist, not being a charismatic. It's knowing Jesus. So do you know him? And if you know him in your heart, then, um, then heaven is our home and God is our father and we get to be brothers and sisters with each other. Amen. 
Amen. I don't know where all that's coming from, but uh, let's just go with it this morning. So it is one of our prayers that there will come in our generation, in our day, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there will be a revival that will sweep this land from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic and go from Canada to Mexico. And um, folks will just show up at church. There won't even be anything scheduled. They just have a heart to be where God's people are and wanting to come to know him. And it's called revival. It's called a spiritual awakening. And so much of the fabric of the significant parts of the United States of America have been, have been bred in the process of God pouring out his spirit, spiritual awakening. So, all right, well, that, that doesn't have direct application what we're talking today. Well, maybe it does. It's in the Bible, and, and we're going to talk about hope. And um, another, another page turning today with another category and aspect of hope. How to learn how to hope or learning how to hope. Sometimes we think that hope is just something that you either have or you don't have. You either were born with a hopeful, you know, outlook on life or you were just born negative and you're just kind of stuck with the result. Well, the truth of the matter is that just really is not the case. God has the ability and God has the heart to teach us how to hope. Now, we've described hope or defined it with two parts. And this is true whether it's Webster's Dictionary or a, or a Bible Dictionary. The, the meaning is basically the same. Hope has two parts to it. It has a wish and a desire. A wish, we'll say wish. That's the first part. The second part is an expectation or an anticipation that what I've been hoping for, what I've been wishing for will one day happen, that the two are, are, are matched. You don't just have the wish and it's just kind of an empty wish. And you don't know anything, care anything further about it. This is, I'm just consumed with this wish when it's a hope. And that's how you'll know that it's truly a hope, that it's not just wishing for something. There is equally strong inside you an expectation that somehow, some way, one way or the other, what I've been hoping for and wishing for is going to happen. Now, now that, that word is attached to the, the name of God in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope. The God who has wishes, who has desires, but also has expectation, anticipation, and beyond that, he has the power to make what he's wishing and hoping for to actually happen. Now may the God of hope fill you up, fill us up with all joy and peace in believing so that we may abound, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is, folks, that one of the ways you and I can know that the Holy Spirit is working in us is that we got hope working in our hearts when it may be in an area of our lives that it seemed like we ought to have no hope at all. We should have given up a long time ago. We shouldn't even be thinking such things. You talk about your hope with some folks and they look back at you and tell you, you are a crazy person. There's no way that can happen. But even if they say that, even if they try to convince you that there's no way it can happen, even your mind gets to work, and am I just nuts? 
you still down deep in your knower know somehow God is going to do what he put in your heart to do, to believe him for. Now may the God of hope, hope is a future word. It's not just a present word, it's a future word. It's about something that hadn't happened. You don't need hope if it's already before you, if it already makes sense, if it's already just, just it's happened. Hope that is seen is not hope, the scripture will say. So this is about the invisible. This is about something that hadn't happened yet. This is about something that hasn't materialized yet. And God has a way of not just minimizing that, of just saying, oh, get yourself together, quit, quit your dreaming. God has a way of pouring gasoline all over that part of us in specific ways that ignites a fire of hope that doesn't go out no matter what hadn't happened and how long it hadn't happened. doesn't go out no matter how old you get or where you've moved or who walked out of your life or what's come into your life. Hope, 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 hope. Hope, hallelujah. Now may the God of hope, God of hope, fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may overflow in hope, abound in hope, exude hope, radiate hope, effervesce hope. Where is it coming from? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to take it seriously because it's not just you generating the hope. It's the Spirit of God inside you generating the hope. Not a generalized thing, but it'll often be just very specific. Now may the God of hope. Now may the God of hope. So let, let's just think about this for a little bit this morning. How does God teach us to hope? How does he teach us to hope? If, if he's wanting to to, to stir hope within our hearts, if he's wanting to encourage it, if, if he's wanting to refine it, if he's wanting to mature it, how, what does he go about in, how, how does he go about doing that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. If you'll just open your Bible, find your Bible and go to Mark chapter four, the gospel of Mark chapter four. And I'd like to read this, this whole story. It's about six or seven verses. Starting in verse 35, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 down through verse 41. So you just follow along or listen, if you would, while I read this. We're talking about how the Lord teaches us to hope. On that day, verse 35, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. I'm going to read that two more times for the purpose of emphasis, okay? Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. That's important. Leaving the crowd, they took him along. The disciples took Jesus along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat 
so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Now the word for perishing means everything is coming loose. It's a word that means even down to the molecular level of destruction. This thing, this storm is blowing us up. This thing is destroying us. This thing has the power to annihilate us. And don't you even care. Uh, Okay. And he got up. Jesus got up. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? It would not be an inappropriate treatment of the text. To settle in, instead of the word faith, our word for the purpose of our study, our word for hope, our word of hope, and for it to fit. How is it that you have no hope? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. When God gets ready to teach us how to hope, watch how he does it. I'm going to give you, I want to suggest maybe four or five things coming out of this story that are a part of The Lord teaching us how to hope in him. You see, it's way more important that we have our hope in him than that we are consumed with what we're hoping for. It's more important who you're hoping in than what you're hoping for. And I say that one more time. It's more important who you're hoping in than what you're hoping for. And this was all about Jesus establishing when all you've got is me, you got way more than enough. When my presence is with you, You don't need to worry about the outcome. So here's what I want to suggest to you. That when the Lord gets ready to teach us hope, when he's in the process of teaching us how to hope, 
Here's the first thing, or one of the first things he'll do. He will teach us how to recognize his presence. How to recognize his presence. Now, in this story, these things are true as well. If the Lord has led you, he's with you. If that's why I read that three times, Jesus saying to them, let us go over to the other side. Us meaning me and you, not you go over and I'll watch from the bank. The Lord led them into the storm. The Lord's ultimate goal was to cross the sea, to get to the other side. But in the process of crossing the sea, in the process of following the leadership of the Lord, a storm unknown to the disciples, but perfectly known to the Lord who issued the command, was known to him. If he's led you, he's with you. Teaching us how to hope will mean that he will teach us how to recognize his presence. But if my assumption is that Jesus is a stranger to storms, Jesus won't be with me when things get tough and things get tight, then my conclusion will be I don't even need to look for him in the storm. I need to just hope I get to the other side of the storm and then maybe I can find him. Hope means that the Jesus who called you by name, who loves you with an everlasting love, will lead you and lead me to follow him. And by his direction, we are given, given assignments. And as we follow him, all hell may break loose. But that does not mean that he isn't in the boat. Do you hear that? That doesn't mean that he's not in your office. That doesn't mean that he's not out making the calls with you and having to feel the stuff that's coming at you and deal with the doctor's reports. It doesn't mean that he said, I'll meet you on the other side. It doesn't mean that. It means we will go together from this place and we will reach. We will get to. We will put our feet on. The other side. (laughs) Yeah. He has the ability. He has the ability to declare the end from the beginning. And when you can sense his presence in that boat with you, when the storms are raging and the boats are filling, the waves are filling the boat up, but you still can sense his presence in the, you, you, you have hope and joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he teaches us how to recognize his presence. He teaches us 
how to recommend it. And don't be looking outside the boat. Don't, don't be looking at the far bank. You look in the boat. And that brings up the, the point with us, however, we need to make sure that when we launch out on these great adventures in life, where we make these decisions and we take these steps, that we have first done what David instructed us to do in Psalm 37, we have committed our way unto the Lord. And he also will bring it to pass, he said. That we hadn't just jumped in the boat and started sailing out across the boat on our own. But there's been a sense of, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want to take a step. I don't want to consider an option. I don't want to field an opportunity, seriously. Unless I have a sense that you're in it with me. That you're leading me. Isaiah 30, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, whenever you turn to the right or the left. You'll hear a voice behind you. You'll hear something in your spirit, something in your heart saying, this is the right way or that's not the right way. A voice of correction or a voice of confirmation. As we step out, as we move, he corrects, he confirms. But are we doing what we're doing because we talked it over with the Lord? We, we, we asked him about it. We gave him time to... Correct us if we were in the wrong state. But once, once that happens, once there's a sense to the best of my ability, Lord, I'm doing this because you're leading me to feel like you want me to do it. We are not to be surprised when the storm sets in. We're not to take that as a confirmation that we missed God. We just need to take that as a confirmation from the devil that we're right in the middle of where God wants us to be. The devil was trying to sink the boat. He's trying to sink it all. Sink Peter, Paul. Paul wasn't there. James was there. John was there. Jesus was there. If the devil could have dealt with everything right then, it'd have been a great. So here comes, here comes the enemy just trying to sink the boat. But Jesus has already said, we're going to the other side. What the devil was trying to do was in direct contradiction to what God had already said he wanted to do. All right. If he led you, he's with you. If he led you into it, he's with you. <laughs> Here's another one. If he's quiet, it doesn't mean he's absent. If he's quiet, not talking like a $2 radio, confirmation, 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 sometimes we, we're just kind of crazy with it. Well, God, I, I felt like you wanted me to do it, and then I hadn't heard anything for the last four months. Well, it's, it, it, it's as if, what, what is the way, we, what are we supposed to do? You keep doing the last thing you know God told you to do. And then when he speaks, should he choose to confirm or correct, he, he, will, he will do that. But if he's quiet, it doesn't mean he jumped out of the boat. If he's quiet, it doesn't mean that he's absent. He was asleep. He was in the boat. He hadn't gone anywhere. He was just resting, which brings up another point. Since he isn't troubled about the outcome, why should you and I be? He's asleep on the cushion, back of the boat. 
Boat's about to sink, according to these fishermen disciples. Water filling the thing up. And even the splashing of the water and even the rocking of the boat and the sound of the wind, none of that was loud enough to wake up Jesus. Folks, he's not worried about the outcome. He's not afraid that the devil's going to win. He's not concerned that something more powerful than what he has said would usurp what he had said. He wasn't worried about it. He was resting. Which means, as he would say back to them, where's your faith? Where's your hope? Let me be your monitor. If I show signs of concern, if I'm giving you corrective, a way to correct your course, then that's one thing. But if I'm not sweating it, don't you be sweating it. Stay the course. Just keep on the way you're headed. Stay the course. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. It may, it may just be me preaching to myself. But I'm telling you, this is a word from God's heart to some of you who are in the middle of a storm or you're trying to reflect upon what happened before, what in the world was all of that about? Here's what it was all about. Here's what it is all about. God, by his spirit, is teaching you how to hope. The storm didn't kill you. Count your fingers. You still got 10 fingers. Do your eyes like that. You still got two eyes. Look down at your feet. Your feet are still working. You're clothed and in your right mind. The storm did not destroy you. As God led you in, he led you through. He brought you out the other side. And there was a certain kind of dignity that clothes a man or a woman who has a significant storm in their past. Whereas they went through it, they didn't know how they would ever make it. There was no human resource that would be available to them to rescue them. Physically, they could, there, there was no hope. But in the process of there being no human hope, God showed you. God made his presence known. And he brought you through. You don't have anybody to praise but Jesus. You can't, think, can't thank yourself because you were, you were more scared than anybody else in the boat. You couldn't thank a lawyer, couldn't thank a banker, couldn't thank Ma or Paul. You were by yourself, in a sense. And there was nobody, there was nobody who had the ability to care for your soul like Jesus cared for your soul. Let that dignity clothe you. Be ready to tell your story. It's not bragging on you, it's bragging on Jesus. Every generation thinks, well, we're going to do it better than the last generation. We, we're, going to, we're not going to mess up like they messed up. We're not going to be as dumb as they messed up. We, we've got a little more technology now. We can figure these things out. That, every generation, every generation comes up with that lie until that generation reaches adulthood and that, that generation begins to hit some thought, things that every generation hits when they realize, okay, the world is in our hands now and how in the world are we going to do anything about it and fix this thing? And then you start looking around. You start looking for a little gray hair. 
You start looking for somebody who may have a stooped shoulder. You start looking for somebody in some history book that may still be alive who survived this war, who survived that calamity, who survived this other, and you put that in the spiritual vein, and the ones that, that you want to talk to, that you want to mentor you, that you want to seek counsel from, are the ones who are able to say to you, I went through that divorce. I went through that diagnosis of cancer. I went through that unexpected professional change. My company, the company I work for, is no more. It's been gone for decades now, but here's what I want to tell you, and they would say it, clothed in the dignity and the humility of having survived the storm, here's what I can tell you. Everything permanent, every face permanent, every problem that seems to be permanent will one day be proven to be temporary, but the one great permanency of your life is your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. He will not forget about you. He lives in the eternal present tense. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't figure out. There's no fight he hasn't ever won or will ever win. You just trust in the Christ who loved you, who saved you, who holds you in his nail-scarred hands. There's always going to be a place. The more I get these things, I won't say there's always going to be a place for gray hair in the church. You know? Some of you feel like you get a few of them and think, I, ever, I earned every last one of those things. And you want me to start telling stories? I can tell you stories about some things that I didn't do right, but the ones I want to tell you about, well, the places where I didn't know which way to turn, I didn't know what to do, I didn't have a resource, I didn't have a plan, my plans all evaporated, but somehow, some way, he got me through. Sometimes I felt like he was asleep in the boat. Sometimes I wasn't even sure he was in the boat, but he was and I'm alive, and I'm sucking air, and the devil didn't kill me, and the storm didn't cause me to perish. You see, you, the good, good, thing, the good thing about learning how to hope is you, you start out back here with, with, with little, little buttressing your hope. You, you, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hope in the Lord and what you believe the Lord to be and so forth, but, but the Lord wants it to be more than that. The Lord wants you to have some experience to back up what you're believing him for. And the good thing about it is it's not going to be your first rodeo. There'll be something, something from back here that will present itself out here, but because you, you weren't annihilated by this storm, and you have been, you've been at the end of yourself before. That's not a new thing that you couldn't figure it out and people couldn't figure it out and you couldn't throw enough money at it to fix it, couldn't get enough smart people to fix it, but somehow God made a way to get you through it. That's your first rodeo. This one isn't your, isn't your first rodeo. That's hope, folks. That's hope. It's not just put the experience on a shelf and let it collect dust like in a museum. What he did for me then what he proved to me about his reality then is to prepare me for with hope now in my heart that what I've seen him do then, he will watch him do now. So see, it, it just makes sense to collect around you some folks who know about that. It's not their first rodeo. 
You sit around talking to contemporaries, contemporary, let me, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, all they come up with may never be anything of substantial hope. It's just what they think. But when you've been through a storm like these fellows were in this storm, everything they thought was out the window. Then what? Then what? Then Jesus <laughs> woke up. <laughs> all right, I, gotta, I need to get back to my, my little thing here. If he's quiet, it doesn't mean he's absent. Since he's not worried about the outcome, why should you? Sound asleep. Everything that was terrifying the disciples was not even a blip on Jesus' radar screen. There was nothing going on around him until the disciples shook him probably, did whatever they did, splashed water in his face, woke him up. There wasn't anything that was happening in the boat, to the boat, under the boat, over the boat, around the boat that was big enough to put Jesus in a dither about how are we going to make this? Sound asleep. If he's not worried, why should we be worried? You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk you in it. Whenever you turn to the right of the way. If, if, if it was important in order for them to survive, for them to turn around and go with the wind and, and, and hit the bank that they left from, don't you reckon he'd have told them that? But he had said, we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. Since he isn't troubled about the outcome, why should you be? Now that's our human side, right? That's our human side. Now, Jesus fielded the concerns of his men, but he overcame the weaknesses of his men with his own presence and the power of his own life. He, 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 didn't, he didn't drop them. He didn't say, well, Peter, you, you, you swung and you missed, big boy. James and John, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still looking for my lead men in the church. He knew what he had when he had them to work with. He, he knows that we're more driven by and gripped by what we can see and touch and feel than we are by the invisible. Here's another great word. He says to us, when you are faithless, I remain faithful. Folks, listen, it's not about you hanging on to Jesus. It's not about you doing enough to try to hold on to him, hold on to him. These, these folks, these guys had about let go of Jesus. If it had to help their purposes for him not to be in the boat, they'd have pulled another Jonah. It wasn't about these great giants of the faith in the storm. They were scared out of their mind thought they were going to die. 
thought they'd never see land again, never see family again. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. It's not about you hanging on to him nearly so much as it is. He's got a hold of me. He knows I'm not loyal enough just to hang on to him. In my own right, I don't have enough love for God and faith in God and, and all the things without the work of his spirit in me, creating in me to be. He knows that. And still he stayed in the boat. He stayed in the boat with that bunch of unbelieving knuckleheads. Riveted to what they can see. Somebody could have stood up and said, we just need to believe, we just need to believe. And they probably all said, oh, shut up. We're about to die. So they finally woke him up. He stood up. And he handled it. Here's, here's another one of these just little principles out of the story. Since he is where you are, Satan will never win. It doesn't mean that Satan won't try. It doesn't mean that he won't throw some storms. But the outcome of your eternity, the measure of the love of God for your soul, will never be interrupted no matter what, regardless of what Satan tries to throw to intervene. That was Satan, making the winds blow, causing the waves to do what they were doing. What he was doing registered on the inside of the souls of those fishermen. Satan rules by fear. We know it's the devil because he pushes us according to fear. If I, don't, if I stand up, if I stand up to this, if I take a stand here, if I do that, the fear of the repercussions, the fear of what might happen, Satan. That's how he works. On the other hand, there's rest with the Lord. <laughs> there's confidence with the Lord. He, he, knew, he knew what the devil was about to do even when he put his head on the pillow. He knew what Satan wanted to do. He knew what Satan would ultimately try to do when he was there going to the cross. But it didn't derail him. It didn't sidetrack him. He rested. He rested. Because Satan will never win where Jesus is. Now there may be some temporary, what appear to be setbacks, temporary, or seeming to us permanent. But a day with the Lord says a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. What to us can seem like a, an eternity or, an, or a lifetime, as far as eternity goes, it's just, it's just a snap of the finger, just a blink of the eye. Satan knows he's going down. Satan knows he won't win. And that's why the name Jesus is the most hated name in a Satan-driven world. You can say just about every other name, but if you want to get in trouble, 
Why? Why? Satan is in charge of the course of this world, Ephesians chapter 2. He's the prince of the power of the air. You don't have to be a Satanist to being pushed along by the course of this world, pushed along by Satan's desires. And you, you, can, you can nail it. You can know where it's coming from by just mentioning the name Jesus. You can just whisper it in a room. You can be any kind of gathering and just let that name come out and you'll find out in an instant what is the force behind what's going on. Jesus. There is no other name whereby men must be saved than the name Jesus, not God in general, though he is God. Jesus means savior. Jesus means rescuer. Jesus means reach down into your mess, grab a hold of your soul, pull you up out of the slop and bring you on a solid rock and rescue you as he holds you to his breast. That's Jesus. 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 Satan will not win where Jesus is. But if he can get us to thinking, well, man, there's a storm. That must mean Jesus isn't here. Things are kind of tough. People are upset. Things don't undergo, aren't going the way I'd like for them to go. That must mean Jesus isn't here. Check the boat, Jack. Check your boat. Stop listening to that stuff. Check your boat. Lord, will you make your presence known? Winds howling, waves crashing, people, people, people beating up on me. If you're here, <laughs> you ever done it? If you're here, Lord, I, would you just please, would you just please help me to know you are here? And he will. But you see, if our automatic assumption is Jesus is a stranger to storms, Jesus is averse to difficult situations. And that's some of this phony American theology. That the only real Jesus that there is out there is somebody whose hair never gets messed up. He never sweats, never spits, never had any calluses on his hand. He, he wants everything to be normal and in order and peaceful. Read the New Testament, Jesus. It was one demoniac after another. It was another midnight boat ride in the middle of a storm after another. It was folks fussing and arguing, and he's having to say, you sons of thunder, would you just quit that? I'm not going to blow people up. I came here to die for them and to save them. Lord, just, just nuke them. Lord, just nuke them. They, they didn't like us. They were, they were mean to us. Just nuke them. That was his ministry for so much of it. Real people, fallen world. The stench of sin all over the place. Listen, he was at home in heaven. In charge of the angel armies in heaven, right hand of the Father. But it says he emptied himself, Philippians 2. And he took upon the form of a man to be obedient to his Father's command that he would come to redeem men and women to save us from our sins. And he had to live as a man. Tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He suffered through the humanity part so we could understand what we go through. That's Jesus. So don't believe the lie for one minute just because it seemed like all hell is breaking loose against you or that Jesus has left you. That may be the backdoor proof that you are just smack dab in the middle of right where God wants you to be. 
The Lord with his GPS showing the will of God for you. And he's looking at it and there you're standing. Everything's blowing up and on fire on the ground. It's because he loves us enough to want you and me to know that if he is all we have, he is all we're ever going to need. Teaching us to hope. Teaching us to hope. Teaching us to hope through the storms and the fires and the earthquakes and the famines. Teaching us to hope. If he is where you are, Satan will never win. Stay the course. Continue the journey. Continue the walk. All right, here's the last one. Since he is where you are, what he said in the beginning will happen in the end. What he said in the beginning will happen in the end. What did he say in the beginning? Let us go over to the other side. Let us, plural, not you, second person, you meaning them, this is, this is us. This is, this is first person, plural. Let us. I'm going with you. We're going somewhere. I'm going with you. And where we're going is to the other side. The devil says, you're not going anywhere. You get out in that boat, you get out in that water, and you're mine. You're mine. Watch this. So Satan blew the storm out of him. Blew the best he had at that point in time, maybe. And Jesus slept through it. Think about it. He was no more worried about what the devil could do than it would just wake him up and, and make him have to go walk over and holler at the waves. He didn't even budge him. That's how solid the certainty in Jesus' heart that he was in charge. All authority, he said has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So you as disciples, you, you go where I send you, knowing that I'm the one who has authority. There's a season, there's a time when on this planet, Satan will be allowed to do various things within his realm, but he can only go so far. There will be a limit to what he can do, but the time will come when Satan will be bound, cast into the lake of fire, destroyed forever. What, what the disciples thought was going to happen to them, Satan knows will happen to him. Therefore, he fights. Therefore, he resists. 
but what Jesus said in the beginning happened in the end. That is true for you, my brother and my sister. As you embark upon a journey through this life, some aspects, some chapters, some seasons, some parts, some opportunity, you embark upon the journey. But you embark upon the journey before you ever buy your ticket, stick one foot in the boat, you have a sense in your spirit that it's the Lord's heart for you to do it. You say, how will I know? How will I know? How will I know? It's one of the pieces of equipment you get when you get saved. When you get born from above, you get the ability to recognize the Savior's voice to your heart. Whereas before, you, people, the, the Lord might be trying to say stuff and it's, it's just like, you know, just looking at a piece of wood or, or, or looking at sheetrock. There wasn't any, no, no response. You had no response. Even, but the day came when you opened your heart. And Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, came to live inside your spirit. There has gone off within you what Paul described as the cry, the adoption cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. He's not stranger. He's not the great big God, unknowable out there. He's my Daddy. He's my Father. I cry out to Him, and my spirit has the ability to hear His voice to my heart. You get that equipment, that receiver, to hear the voice of the Lord in ways that were not even possible for folks who don't know Him. But when he speaks, my sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And I know them, and they follow me. What he said in the beginning will happen in the end. Stay the course. Hold steady. If Jesus seems not to be worried, don't you be worried. <laughs> if he's concerned, if there's some course adjustment, somebody, he'll speak to you. He'll tell you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. But if you're not saying anything different, you stay the course. The hope was, the hope created, going to the other side. That was specific. That's the specifics. Was that a word? Something. That's pretty close. You, you know what I'm going for. It, it's like your hope, your wish, your, your dream, that, that which is hope for you. It's not this general thing. It's, it's spot A to spot B. The dream that works in your heart for something to come your way, for you to attempt something and for it to be accomplished, whatever the hope might be. The Lord has the ability to plant the hope in you, and he has the power to bring the hope to fulfillment. You know what the only caveat there is? If I check out on the hope, <laughs> you know, what if old Simon Peter, this is before Pentecost, you know, he, he got his life back at Pentecost. He was scared to death of everything, and then the Lord filled him with his spirit, and he wasn't, you know, he, he was bold as a lion. Before that, he was trying to lie his way out, all kinds of stuff. 
What, what, if, what if Simon Peter just on that night had just said, I ain't staying here anymore. This boat's going down and I can at least swim. What if you just jumped over the side and just checked out and swam back? What if the boat had emptied? But it didn't. It didn't. There's something about the power of the Lord's word to your heart that's like glue. It, 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 it grabs your heart. And the Lord uses that as a part of teaching us how to hope. That's one of the things about being a part of a church family. There are going to be folks who have been down the road a little farther than you. They carry themselves. They, they may not be dressed in, you know, $500 suits and, and all that kind of stuff, but, but they carry themselves with some kind of dignity, a measure of dignity. Probably have a little gray hair. They may not all have it, but they might. With the way they carry themselves when they're in and around needy people will identify to the discerning eye. That one has a story to tell that I need to hear. Something about how our hope as Christians can positively infect hope in the lives of others. It's not, it's not the drinking buddies. It's not the, it's not the sports guys. It's not the whatever you did that, that's the secular crowd of acquaintances. They don't know any more than you do. But may the Lord lead into our lives. A Peter. James, John, who were scared out of their minds that night. But then they saw this one named Jesus do the unthinkable. The hope that filled their hearts, that conveys to others, they face the future. It's not their first rodeo.